Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about insecticide modes of action, but we would be happy to discuss anything that's going on on your farm or answer any questions you might have. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in. Again, that's 844-442-4743. You can also email us radio at agphd.com or we are also on Twitter, agphd media, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Okay, so with insecticide modes of action, the re- part of the reason we're talking about this today is Lorsban's gone. Now, can you technically still buy Lorsban today? Yeah, I think you probably can. You just can't unfortunately use it on any crop that's going to go for food or feed. So that basically eliminates most usages. And because Lorsban is gone and it was so, so widely used, people are to some degree scrambling. I'll even use the word panicking about, well, what am I going to do now? Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So again, if you've got any questions on that or anything else, you can certainly give us a call or send us an email. But right now we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, uh, first one comes from Don in Arkansas. He said, I heard you guys talking about spraying something on your corn that adds about a foot more height. Is that gibberellic acid? And if so, what's your timing? Yes, and you want to spray when the corn is relatively small. I would say somewhere in that V2 to V6 kind of range. The earlier, the better. If possible, um, you want to get as good a spray coverage as you can. I want you to think about this. If you're in 30 inch rows and you've got two inch, or I should say two leaf corn to maybe even four leaf corn, and you go spray something broadcast, what percent is going to hit the ground versus what's going to hit the plant? Okay, it's going to be a tiny percentage that's actually going to hit the plant. Like in our farm this year, what we're going to do is we're going to hopefully try to spray right over the top of the rows, maybe get a little more on or in the plants. But yes, the, the point is you want to spray relatively early when the weather is still fairly cool, and then that will push growth and usually get a little bit taller plant and then more tonnage, of course. All right. Thank you very much for the question. The next one comes from Tom, more of a comment. He said, you guys are talking about organic matter. I hear that you're at 5% on some of your ground. That's a major hat tip to you. Uh, If we could farm every acre that way, we'd be definitely stripping more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere than we're contributing. Absolutely right, Tom. We are definitely pulling in a lot of carbon, building things up in the soil. It's awesome. Uh, Robert had a comment yesterday. Brian had a question, not not Brian Hefty, but uh, uh, Brian that's listening to the show sent a question in about recreational tillage and what our favorite recreational tillage was. And Robert said, just to clarify, was he talking about farmers just driving their tractors around plowing <laughs> land because it's fun? <laughs> well, I, I think what we're talking about here Ed, is not not just, oh, yeah, it's fun. Let's just go do some more tillage. I think that was my point. I, I think yep. that it's uh you know, sometimes we are doing a little more tillage than we need to, and we could be a little more efficient with that. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Uh, get this. Oh, one. wait, wait, wait! Though that wasn't what we were talking. The question came in, and it was about recreational tillage. And so, what our opinion is on 
recreational tillage is if you're just doing something that isn't going to make you money, then you may consider not doing that. Okay, If a tillage pass is necessary to make your farm more money, that's a different story. Or maybe to improve the land. You might say, wait, tillage can never improve the land. Oh, yes, it can. There are situations where it can. So we, we have to, though, talk specifics. Because if we're not talking specifics, we're just talking general terms, well, it can be all across the board in the opinions and everything else that's out there. So if you ever have a specific question about tillage and what the exact impacts would be, we're more than happy to talk about that. All right. Uh, got a question in here from Justin. He said, I farm on the Montana-North Dakota border. We've got irrigated ground. I've got spring wheat, and I was wondering about delayed planting of soybeans into the spring wheat, waiting until after my first spray and before the first flood irrigation. My main concerns would be that my soybeans would get too tall, creating a mess at wheat harvest. Also, our growing season is very short. Just curious what you would think of the strategy. Well, in effect, the soybean is a weed in wheat, and if the soybean does well, then that tells me that your wheat's not going to do well and that you have a thin stand or for whatever reason, something's wrong in the wheat. So, I mean, if there's sometimes as farmers, we have what many others will consider crazy ideas. We're all for crazy ideas. Just please do it on a very, very small scale and see how it pans out. So am I optimistic that's going to work? No, no, I'm not. Is it possible it could work? Sure it is. So you can try it and see what you think. But my assumption is you're not going to get a good stand. The stand is going to get choked out by the thick wheat that you've got out there. And I just don't see how it's going to work. And there are a lot of people that are listening that will probably say, well, why don't you just harvest the wheat and then plant the soybeans? Keep in mind where this question's coming from. Montana, North Dakota border. There's barely time enough to raise one crop, and there's certainly not time to raise two full season crops. So anyway, that would be our concern with that. Okay. Um, get, boy, not much time, but I'll try this. Tom had a couple questions. His first one was, what are the top three reasons that seed fails to germinate? And his second one was, uh, Considering taking a job as a sales agronomist, what are the big pros and cons of that job? Why doesn't seed germinate? Um, we don't really know. It, I don't think it really matters. The point is, is a seed good or is it not good? And we always encourage you to test for warm germination score and cold germination score. Yeah, you need good seed to soil contact. You need consistent moisture. If you plant it too shallow, it gets dry and then your seed's going to die. You could have disease and insect, of course, and that's why we use a good seed treatment as well. So doing everything right with your planter and getting that uh, disease and insect problem taken care of is is the other big key to that. And then as far as being an agronomist, the cons this time of year, definitely long hours. <laughs> uh, but the pros are high income potential and a lot of fun working with a lot of good people. Thanks for the questions, Tom. We really appreciate that. We'll be right back with Ag PhD Radio after this. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. 
That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And our topic is insecticide modes of action. We have gotten a ton of questions this year about, well, what do I do now? We don't have Laura's ban. Or, hey, my state is considering banning neonics on seed treatment. What would I do if I didn't have that mode of action? Or how about this one? Pyrethroids aren't working as good on this bug or that bug because that's all we ever use. Yeah, there are a lot of things going on in this space of the insecticides. And we thought today would be a great opportunity as we get going in this growing season to look at some of the other modes of action, some of the other products that are out there. And there are some really nice ones to, to take a look at. So we'll, we'll start with that. We'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844 44 ag phd and you can always email us radio at agphd.com uh, start off with bruce stewart with fmc down in oklahoma bruce how are you doing today hey i'm doing good a little bit of rain here so that's always good we'll take it we'll take it and uh, you know you think about that how does that impact insects for for some insects like grasshoppers our way we say man if we're getting lots of rain then we probably aren't going to have much problem with grasshoppers and even the ones that do survive they got plenty to feed on in the ditches and elsewhere they can leave our crops alone but man when we get dry it seems like we have more bugs well that's for sure i know we had a lot of uh, brown uh, wheat mild on on wheat and uh, they you know, with the wheat not really growing and the pests can really build up and uh, you need it, need the crop to grow to kind of grow out of some of that feeding. And, uh, you know, like for even alfalfa weevil, it's really been a tough year because, you know, there's just not much moisture. The, the crop just stayed there about three or four inches and, and the weevils were really able to, you know, really consume a lot of that foliage and 
and that crop's just not able to grow. So, yeah, not having rain can really cause a lot of issues for sure. Hey, we've been hearing a lot about that alfalfa weevil larvae further south from us. And, of course, our farm's up in South Dakota. So our time is coming. Things are really starting to green up here. That's going to be one of the first pests that we're out fighting. Uh, so we've got that one going on. And, you know, man, we got, well, I shouldn't I shouldn't just limit it to alfalfa, but that's probably the first crop we're going to fight bugs. What, what do you see there? What's working? Well, boy, what you hit that. Uh, topic right on the head it's uh, really been a big difficult year with alfalfa uh, you know as i'd mentioned that the growth we just really never had it. it it just would sit there you know three or four inches and never really uh, get out of dormancy very well without that rainfall so you know fmc has a product called steward insecticide and uh, it's in, in a whole class kind of by itself. It's uh, oxidizing chemistry. Uh, something unique about it is, you know, it's pretty specific to uh, just a few pests. And, and actually alfalfa weevil happens to be one of them. But, you know, with, with that chemistry, it has to be ingested. And uh, so you, we really don't like to put it on before you get about six to eight inches of growth on that crop. And uh, if you put it out too early, there's just not enough for them to consume uh, foliage and things. And, uh, and you really need to get them to, to eat it. So if you have a cold snap, uh, oftentimes the young larvae will penetrate down that new foliage or the bigger larvae will drop off. And uh, it, it does not really work by contact. So it has to be in, ingested. Unlike the, like the pyrethroids, uh, you know, they can come in with a contact activity but uh, you know their performance has really been falling off here in the last oh three to four or five years there's been uh, documented cases of resistance you know at uh, Oklahoma State and Montana State and out in California uh, so it's something that uh, really becoming more and more difficult to control is the the alfalfa weevil and then then as you know chlorpyrifos uh, was taken off the market and that was always a nice product to kind of come in and knock the populations down and then use steward once you get that growth up uh you know six to eight inches you know when you think about these modes of action i guess uh, fmc was always thought of as an insecticide company bruce it's kind of gotten overpowered with all the herbicides <laughs> and now fungicides but uh it's kind of neat to see some of these new insecticide products coming uh you know that's right we've got some in the, the works in the pipeline and you know we also have another uh, whole uh, class of chemistry, not to get too fancy with the name here, but it's an anthranilic diamide. And some of you, you know, people may know it as Prevathon or Vanacore. And it's it's kind of a whole new um, mode of action here in the last uh, few years it's come out. And it's really specific towards caterpillars. So, you know, in corn, soybeans, even alfalfa, if you had uh, caterp caterpillars or, or oftentimes we call them leps, uh, you know, it's very effective, and it, it works on the insect's muscle system. So it causes paralysis of that insect where its mouth parts really can't move or it can't walk around very well. Uh, it may lay there for a day or two, kind of depending on the temperature and, and uh, humidity. It may lay there and look like it's still alive, but once it comes in contact with, uh, like, the Vanacore or uh, or the older name was Prevathon, it, it's just not going to continue feeding. But again, it, most of these new products coming out are really specific uh, for a, a group of 
of insects or a class of insects and like uh, I was saying Vanacor is really specific towards caterpillars and, and the nice thing is it doesn't flare up your your uh, aphid populations or your mites by killing off some of the, the beneficials. Yeah, that's a big thing. The the um, the flare-ups that we've seen with pyrethroids, that's been one of the big drawbacks. Uh, the other question I had, though, Bruce, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about seed treatment and what's happening. Are there any of these classes of insecticide that could be potential replacements for the neonics? Uh, you know, neonics are a lot of times targeted towards those aphids or um, also for some caterpillars. I know the anthranilic diamide, like I was mentioning, Vanacor, uh, there's a company that has come out with a seed treatment on it for wheat and some other uh, corn, soybeans as well. Uh, it can protect those crops uh, from uh, caterpillars and, and things. And, and there's some new uh, products for aphids as well. So there's some new uh, classes, but a lot of them, I guess some of them are neonics, and there's some that are uh, kind of outside of that class, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a big void if, if those are taken away. Yeah, no doubt about it. And when we get exciting new things like you've been talking about, Stewart and, and these diamides, uh, do you recommend yeah. putting two modes of action out like we're doing with herbicides to try to help prevent resistance? Uh, not so much. I guess we, I, you know, I know one uh, for uh, alfalfa weevil, I really like to have those products kind of go out separate. If we're going to use a pyrethroid, I'd rather come out with that first and, and then come back in with, uh, say, Steward, another class of chemistry. Um, I think it oftentimes depends. If you have multiple pests on a crop, then that can make sense. But I guess I'm still maybe in the school of thought. You should keep those separated when you're dealing with insecticides. But I can guarantee you there's uh, probably 50-50 uh, viewpoint on that some it's quite a uh, a debate on on whether you should mix them but uh, I, I know my personal self is not to mix those active ingredients if you're just going after one pest and and the product works well on it yeah you gave us several things here to think about as well just think about how each of these products work and what timing you need and how much regrowth you need or how much growth you need on the crop those are all real keys and if you do that right we've got some excellent insecticide modes of action out there that that definitely need to be considered for use this year we're talking with bruce stewart here with fmc bruce you're great we really appreciate it thanks for all the info today hey thanks for letting me be a part of it see ya you bet we're talking about insecticides on today's show because you know what? You grow a good crop, it gets pretty attractive for those insects to get. And this year, when you look at crop prices and input prices, it's going to be super, super important to get after insects early. I'm sure we'll talk about thresholds and this type of thing at some point today. And I just think about this, too. When we've got a valuable crop out there and we've got a pest that could be a big problem, or we mentioned aphids here earlier. You think about how fast aphids reproduce and uh, how many aphids you could be fighting if you just let them go for a week or two. Uh, we got to get after these insects early this year. So we'll talk more about specific bugs and insecticides coming up on today's program, as well as taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back. 
If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmall. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about insecticides and we think about bugs attacking crops. It's a big, big deal. And we've lost modes of action like Lohr's band. We've got other modes of action like the pyrethroids that just aren't working as well as they used to. And that raises a lot of questions out there, no doubt about that. And of course, there's plenty of talk about neonics going on as well in different parts of the country and around the world. So looking at some of these different modes of action and newer products out there, but you know what? It's kind of cool to come up with new things, but how are farmers going to use them? Got our friend Kevin Matthews out in North Carolina on right now. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Good to be here. 
Well, you know, we're talking about insecticides today. Are there any bugs right now on your farm that you'd say, man, I need something different to take care of this pest? Or are you able to find solutions for everything so far? Yeah, right now we're in good shape. Um, one thing we, we're kind of guilty of some, we used to jump in the sprayer and we'd always add a perithroid or something of that nature in there every time we made a trip when we was blooming on soybeans or or wheat, uh, trying to look after shell leaf beetles, um, you know, or corn, looking after corn earworms. Uh, you know, it, it was just so cheap. And then when things started becoming resistant to it, it was like, wait a minute, you know, we never wanted to hurt our beneficial insects. So we really now spend much more time scouting for those insects. And what we found through really good scouting is we're not needing to spray as much as we once thought we did. And that's that's a win-win for us. So there's um, when you start getting these resistances to pyrethroids and even some bythanthrums and other modes of action, it it could get really bad. So um, that's that's kind of how we've done it on our side. These other areas of the state, uh, especially in big cotton country, where they have to use so much insecticide and uh, different products to grow a good, healthy crop. Um, you know, they're they've got other challenges. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right, so what are the biggest bugs that you fight on a normal year? A normal year for us uh, in corn is uh, is absolutely the corn earworms. Um, no question about that for us. Then, um, then we our soybeans is a soybean looper. The loopers is one that those rascals will get us, and occasionally stink bugs can really be a problem. It seems like it's more in a drier year that we have at when the plants are a little more stressed out they want to leave and go to that that plant to get more uh, moisture you know, more nutrition instead of eating the weeds and the and the grass along the edges then weed is still you know the weed is your cereal leaf beetles there's no question for that we we've always got to watch that it's, it's kind of funny you can go out to the field and Everything looked good, and then you go the next day and walk through it, and you come back, and you got larvas on your britches legs and and things, and you're like, uh oh, I, I got to get to spraying. So those those are kind of the main pests that we're always looking for. Uh, we see a lot of Japanese beetles, and sometimes they can do some pretty good uh, tissue damage on the soybeans. Normally, they look worse than they actually are. So uh, you know, just but on the flip side, nobody wants a bug on them. Uh, biting and pinching and eating so neither do our plants so what is exactly the correct threshold I, you know i can't answer that for me i i, I don't want to see any damage in my crops but there is a threshold that's economical that we have to go by well, i know when we get more damage out there on our farm we generally see more disease when we've opened that plant up and i can only imagine with the weather you get in north carolina that's got to be a challenge absolutely yep yeah. and that yeah, when when you have that insect damage, it's, it makes the plant more vulnerable to most anything, and you're 100% right on that. You were talking with Kevin Matthews here, farms in North Carolina, works with the Extreme Ag Group. Uh, Kevin, you get a lot of questions. Uh, are, are there some uh, challenges coming up this year with the weather that we've had so far? <laughs> right now, we just need to shy rain so we can keep planting. We had to park the planters, and uh, we're... I found a couple hundred acres I could plant yesterday, and so we moved the planters up here, and we're fixing to start on it here uh, as soon as I get off the call. So, 
it's, it's all kinds of challenges, just getting products, keeping equipment running, um, keeping, you know, I hope we don't have a big outbreak of insects and then have issues getting insecticide. I, I don't think we will, but goodness gracious that we've been surprised with different challenges this year. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Well, good luck to you, Kevin. Hopefully that, that rain comes soon. Uh, it'll be here when it's ready. <laughs> All right, thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Y'all take care. Bye. Hey, Kevin had a couple of good points there, Brian, to to talk about. One, he said, you know what, uh, one practice that they are not doing but they had done in the past is let's just put some insecticide in. We're already going across the field before they even scout it. And he said, now we're scouting and finding we don't need insecticide quite as often as we are putting it out there, which which is probably a good thing. And when you look at the bugs that Kevin's got, he's he's doing a good job with the modes of action that we've got right now. If you manage it well, we should be in good shape for a while. Well, I wish we were as lucky when it comes to bug problems. <laughs> we we scout and we find bugs almost all the time. But this is something we've been talking about for years. Yes, the pyrethroids are ridiculously cheap. You're talking a couple bucks an acre. So a lot of people look at it and they go, whatever. I got $7 corn. I got $15 beans. I got incredibly high-valued wheat. Um, so why I'll, I'm just throwing the $2 worth of insecticide in. What we have always said is you can do it. It's up to you what you choose to do in your farm. But our advice to you is scout before you put it in. And your scouting doesn't have to be like unbelievably extensive or anything else. What we always suggest is have the insecticide there ready to go on your spray spray truck. And you just look at the field quick right before you spray. You see bugs, you kill them. No big deal. But if you don't see any, there's no point in throwing in the throwing the insecticide in. And you can, in some cases, do more harm than good because you might kill a bunch of beneficials that were keeping your bug populations low. So I, I guess, yes, that's always got to be the first thing is scout your fields. Now, when it comes to these modes of action, it's really hard to get away from the pyrethroids because, like I said, they're really cheap. Even by fenthrin or capture, you're, you're probably only talking 4 to $6 an acre. Not 46, but 426. And capture or bifenthrin is a step up from the second generation pyrethroids like Mustang Max, Silencer Warrior, Asana, those kind of things. Okay, so if we're talking about replacements for Lorsban, because that's the number one question we've gotten in the last few months about insecticide, the first one that comes up all the time is dimethoate. Now, dimethoate, same chemical family, it's also an organophosphate, but there's a reason why you haven't been using dimethoate, even though it's been around just as long as Lorsban. Well, that reason is typically it's not quite as good in terms of insect control. It doesn't kill as many bugs. It's not quite as effective, uh, but it is an option. There's also acephate. So both of those products, you're probably talking 8 to maybe $11 an acre, something like that. There are a few others out there. So Prevathon was mentioned a little bit earlier, but that's just for the caterpillars or worms. Um, there's Radiant that's really expensive or Blackhawk. Um, there's Savanto Prime. You got Transform that's just an aphid product and maybe just a few other bugs, but that's much easier on beneficials. There's a Carbamate option that's Lanate. So you've got several different modes of action right there. I just listed five of them on top of the dimethoate or acephate, that's the sixth, and then the pyrethroid is seven. So there's seven modes of action that I can think of just off the top of my head. 
I, I'm not saying that all these are great because most everything is much more expensive than the pyrethroids, but at least at this point, we still have some options. Now, and Darren brought up something earlier in the show, people saying, well, the pyrethroids are starting to see a lot of resistance. Look, if you think you're starting to see resistance issues, number one, make sure you're using the highest labeled rate. And number two, add something else for chemistry. Because just like we say all the time with weeds, a dead weed can't become a resistant weed. It's the same thing with bugs. A dead bug can't become a resistant bug. So if you get them all under control, you're in good shape. I'll also add here that there is a difference between the stuff you're going to use at planting time versus the stuff you're going to use later on. And what I mean by that is at planting time, and we just said, hey, scout the fields first, then put insecticide on. But you know what? For corn rootworms, you can't do that. There, there is no rescue for corn rootworms because they are in the ground. So anyway, similar modes of action where you get organophosphate and pyrethroid, just different way to apply it. Got to do it early in the season. Well, stay tuned. We'll get to more of your questions next. Weather or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact Emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. The Ag PhD Field Day isn't until the last Thursday in July, but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we invite you to attend the Ag PhD Field Day. The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. When you pull your side dress bar out of the shed, do you dread the time and expense of replacing worn colders and bearings? There's a better way. Hi, Greg Souter, 360 Yield Center. 
360 wide drop for side dress bars is a quick, low cost upgrade that cuts maintenance costs. Plus, you're likely to get a yield boost from moving nitrogen from the middle of the row to the root zone. Save time, money, and boost yield potential with 360 wide drop side dress. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We've been talking about insecticide modes of action, but we've had a few questions come in that I want to get to here in the mailbag as well. Brands comes from Jason, and he said, I've got mare's tail, and I've got Italian rye, and I'm going to be planting soybeans. And the Italian rye seems to be pretty hard to kill. I usually spray 32 ounces of Roundup, 16 ounces of 2,4-D, and 12 ounces of Authority MTZ ahead of my soybeans. My question is, should I raise the rate of glyphosate or make one pass with just glyphosate, then come back a week or so later with the other components? My main concern is the rye, but there is mare's tail there too. Yeah, part of the problem is the 2,4-D is antagonizing the Roundup a little bit, but you can overcome that with a higher rate of Roundup. And, and mainly with grass control. Mainly more more antagonizing and reducing the grass control than necessarily the broadleaf control component, although it would reduce the broadleaf control component on especially perennials. Well, here's the other concern that I've got. You have two really tough weeds, but they're very different. One's a grass and one's a broadleaf. And if that mare's tail, well, I'm just going to assume that mare's tail is roundup resistant, that means that all you have in there is just a pint of 2,4-D, which is not a very strong rate at all. And then you've got authority MTZ. So between the two, maybe it's enough to get everything burned down. But yeah, I, I'm concerned in that respect too. Do I have enough there to fully kill, kill the mare's tail? So believe me, I understand all about trying to get by as cheap as possible. We try to do the same thing on our farm. Uh, where was this question from, by the way, Darren? Didn't say. Uh, and the reason why I'm asking is because I want to know the temperature. If it's been warm, so in other words, the night's above 50, the day's above 70. If it's been warm lately, then you can probably get by with this. I still might bump that round up a little bit to make sure the Italian rise did. If it's been cold, so again, by cold, I mean nighttime temps below 50, daytime temps below 70, then... Quite frankly, I'm bumping my rate of Roundup and I'm bumping my rate of 2,4-D a little bit. Yeah, so in front, of, in front of Enlist Soybeans. Okay. Yep. Yep. Well, he I had to he, I He didn't say that. the trait, but I would just say this, because when I when I heard a pint, <laughs> I thought, oh, is this uh, Enlist it 1 that he's spraying be, out there in it, front of Enlist Beans? Because that's what I would strongly suggest. If you're not planting Enlist Beans, I would not recommend using the 2,4-D at all. Right. Yep. Instead, what we're probably going to suggest is going out there with Gramoxone. Now, the other thing would be that mare's tail doing some fall applications, and I'm not sure, Jason, if you've done fall applications yep. before, but man, you could go with a good strong rate of a 2,4-D, for example, with some valor or authority. And man, you can get some nice activity in the fall and not have to deal with as many in the spring or, and, or maybe none. And potentially the Italian rye as well. So if that Italian rye is doing well, what does that tell you? That means that it was probably started in the fall. So yeah, fall treatments on both would most likely be better. And then you come in the spring with your authority MTZ by itself and burn down whatever's left. So anyway, I, I, I guess you kind of know where we stand. Your, your rate's 
borderline on both the Roundup and the 2,4-D. If you had absolute perfect growing conditions, it's probably enough, but otherwise we're bumping the rate. I get this one from SK in Australia who said a majority of our soils are really poor and we're we're doing no-till to try to preserve and, and build them back up. Uh, but it's a little disheartening to see rich soils in America that are getting mechanically tilled a lot. Uh, do you believe that that amount of tillage is going to hurt your soils long term? Uh, well, we would we would love to have your soils and start from there. Well, let let's be honest, we don't have to believe or have an opinion on because we already know exactly what tillage does. When, if you look at organic matter levels in the United States, they were, went down over the last, they've been, they, they have gone down over the last 100 years. Now, fortunately, in the last 10 to 20 years, they've stabilized because of no-till, reduced till. And let's, let's also look at the facts here. There are a lot of people that want to talk about, oh, I'm an environmentalist, and then they say, don't use herbicides. And I go, wait a second here. Part of your environmentalist thought is that we're going to save our soil, and we're going to build organic matter, and we're going to store more of the, that carbon dioxide down in the soil by building the organic matter, right? Well, yeah. Okay, well, I can't do that without herbicides. So thanks to herbicides, we're able to do some of that. And also, Thanks to modern equipment. With the planters that we had even 30 years ago, we couldn't do a great job no-tilling. We didn't have GPS, so we could run strip-till out there. I mean, we've advanced so far in agriculture, it's awesome. But, you know, to make a general comment about seeing the, the tillage done in the United States, we talked about this just a little bit earlier in the show. If you give me a specific example, I can tell you my opinion, at least, on whether I think tillage in that situation would be good or bad. Like, for example, I think it was yesterday or the day before on the show, I just brought up, okay, well, I want to put out a whole bunch of liquid dairy manure. All right, so let's start with the base. We've got manure. I don't care where it comes from. We have manure. A lot of people are going to look at that as a waste product, but we that is the best fertilizer that there is when it's used properly and at the right rate. But am I better off for the environment to lay it on the surface of the soil and do no tillage? Or am I better off to inject it down into the soil? So I'm going to argue all day long, I'm way better off, way safer for the environment. And also it's going to have a lot less smell. So it's a lot uh, easier on the neighbors if I inject it down in the ground. So there's one example of how tillage is fantastic. And I do it every time. Another example that I gave a day or two ago was how about if I have 10% or 15% organic matter? That's hurting my crop, tying up a lot of my nutrients and everything else in the soil uh, reducing my drainage, it's causing me a problem. Well, I can reduce that if I run out with a moldboard plow. Now, that's a tiny, tiny percentage of acres in the United States, but I'm just saying there are two examples where I would use tillage for sure. But And in both cases, I'm going to help my soil long-term rather than hurt my soil long-term. But So t tillage can be good, can be bad, just like a lot of other things in life. All right. Uh, I get a question in from Evan, and he said, I'm in southwest Saskatchewan. I'm curious what you guys would use to build molybdenum in soils with low to non-existent levels. Wondering how long it would take when you apply the molybdenum for it to become plant available if it's not sodium molybdate. Uh, local retailer here Wait, suggests... Wait, why if it's not sodium molybdate? Uh 
he said because that's what well, I would economical probably use. product. So he, maybe he's thinking that's, that's the, expensive. Well, that's the most economical one I know of. Okay. Well, he said a local retailer suggested that a sodium molybdate sodium molybdate foliar application at eight grams or zero point two eight two ounces is ac- actual per acre. It, oh. Anyway, uh, it's a little, you're, little making, you're making for great sorry. radio here, Darren. Sorry, sorry <laughs> Evan, if I'm butchering your email, but uh, basically he's saying, would, is sodium molybdate what you'd use and what parts per million level are you looking for in tissue tests or soil tests? Okay, so let's put it this way. There's almost nobody that knows anything, in our opinion, about molybdenum. What is really the right level in the plant? What's really the right level in the soil? What we've talked about for the last few years has been one part per million in the soil. Use trial and error, just like we say all the time here on the show, and do it on a small scale and see what works for you. I will tell you, Neil Kinsey has been on our show several times, and he said use seven ounces of sodium molybdate three years in a row, and then wait and just see. See if your soil level gets good. See if your tissue analysis is better. See if you're impacting yield before you start putting more on. So that that's probably our suggestion for you. And yes, there is molybdenum that can be found in a lot of different micronutrient blends, and it will typically be at very, very low rates because the plant doesn't need much. Oh, and one last thing that I'll leave you with is if your soil pH is really low, that's typically where you will see the most molybdenum problems because molybdenum is more available as the pH goes up. It's unlike many other nutrients. So I'm not suggesting we want to get the pH to eight or nine, but I am saying, hey, if you get a four, four and a half, a five pH, just at least get it up into the range that we often talk about in the, let's call it in the sixes somewhere, and your molybdenum, whatever is in the soil, will be a little more available. Thanks for the question. Got another one that we'll tackle right after the break from Brent down in Iowa. He's got cover crop in the field and wants to spray the three pre's. How is the best way to do it? We'll talk about that coming up right after this. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Farmers across the country are raving about Germinator closing wheels. Paul from New York says, I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more Germinator success stories, visit farmshopmfg.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Hi, I'm Greg Souter with 360 Yield Center. Getting more nitrates into the corn plant drives yields higher. When and where you place your nitrogen makes a big difference in packing nitrates into the air. 360 Y-Drop places in right over the roots. It's the most efficient way to move nitrates into the plant for better tip fill and heavier kernels. Convert your side dress bar to 360 Y-Drop. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. 
At AgPhD, we want to support anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event. In-field sessions include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees, so this is one event that you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us like Brent down in Iowa did, radio at agphd.com. Uh, Brent said, I've got a cereal rye or triticale cover crop across my farm. Unfortunately, my stand to the cover crop isn't great this year, so I, I'm probably not going to have as much problem this year as other years, but I want to spray my three pre's. And I'd like to spray some Roundup to kill off the cover crop. Can I do it all at the same time? Yes. Should I do it in two different apps? Well. Uh, what would be the best? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a little better for you if you split it up. If you were to spray the Roundup first and then come back with the three pre's, the three pre's won't get tied up in the residue as much. But from the way it sounds, your cover crop isn't that big, so I'm not very worried about this. It should be just fine as is. But I'm just saying you might get a little faster activity out of the three pre's. You, you should get the same long-term activity, but maybe a little faster activity if there's a little less residue because you burned it down with Roundup a week or two earlier. But, oh, oh and the other thing is, yeah, you'll get slightly better control on that cover crop if the Roundup is all by itself. But I would say it's not going to make a lot of difference. And for me, if it was my farm, would I spray it in one shot? Yes, I would. And if I'm worried about it, I just bump the rate of Roundup a little bit. And you might say, well, man, Roundup's really expensive this year. Yeah, I get that. But look at your time savings. That's a big thing. So I'm not that worried about it. I think it's going to be just fine. And I, I want that cover crop, which is now in effect a weed. I want that dead as soon as possible. All right, speaking about weeds, get a question that came in from Bernie down in Kansas. He said we bought a ranch nearly 20 years ago that had an incredible amount of yucca in places, some three or four feet tall. And over the years, by manually applying power pellets, which is hexazinone, we virtually eliminated the problem. Now we're in maintenance mode, just wondering what chemicals we could use uh, and broadcast, likely by air, to suppress young yucca plants, and if so... Uh, what kind of rate would you use? Triclopyr is generally the go-to for yucca. 
Uh, I'd have to look up the rate. So that's and Remedy there, Ultra. Yeah, there are some different products like Remedy Ultra where you can find triclopyrin. So that's what I would look at is is find a product that has triclopyr, T-R-I-C-L-O-P-Y-R, and, and go with it like that. If you're doing spot treatments, uh, that's fine to use as well. Uh, if you were in a non-crop area, you could use Roundup. Um, but, yeah, out in out in pasture, triclopyr is your best choice. Uh, got another question on weed that came in from Dick. He's in Indiana. He said, I've got a field that has patches of wild garlic, and I plan on planting soybeans in this field in 2022. I'm going to no-till in, depending on the weather. What should I use? Well, you can use Roundup. Uh, when you've got warm weather, Glyphosate actually works. You're going to need a pretty high rate because this is a, a perennial weed, uh, and it's kind of funny. I just we don't have wild garlic on the phone or on the farm here, and so I was just looking at what other farmers had said about wild garlic, and they said, "Well, it's going to take more than one application, and it's probably going to take more than one year to completely wipe it out." Uh, with Roundup, I'd say this though: when we use the high rates, we get enough lethal dose to all those growing points and down into those bulbs that are down in the ground and and we can do okay but we need warm weather so many times the guys that are having poor applications or, or poor results it's too early in the spring and it's a little too cool so if you get some warm weather like it sounds like next week things are going to start really warming up that might be a great time to hit it uh, also in crop uh, i know the guys doing the extend soybeans have said that the extendamax or dicamba in crop or the enlist beans the enlist one both of those have done a good job dinging it up maybe haven't completely killed it because it's not going to kill every one of those bulbs that's down deep in the ground but but round up at a high rate uh, can do a pretty decent job. Thanks for the question. This one from John over in Michigan, and he said, you guys talk a lot about seed treatments that you're adding to soybeans, and I just found out that my soybeans will not be coming treated, and my supplier doesn't have any in-house treater, so we can't add anything on. So I'm just wondering, what could I put in the box at the time of seeding to at least have something out there to help my seed? Okay, so first of all, Maybe there's something that I don't know about, but I am not aware of any fungicide or insecticide that you can use as a dry and coat that seed. So that's the trouble, I guess. Uh, that's the thing I'm concerned about. There, There is dry inoculant out there. We've used a peat-based inoculant several times in the past, and actually we've had even better results with that than the liquid. And then we are using, a, at least on some of our stuff, that also comes untreated. We are, or at least partially treated, we are using a biological dry uh, called NutriShield. That's a combination of heat shield and NutriCycle. And we've been using that for either in the liquid or the dry form for probably, I don't know, half a dozen years and been getting not only good yield response, but we're getting faster emergence with that too. So it's just a dry product that we use right on the planter in or in the planter box and it's not real expensive but if there's anything else you want to try try it on a few acres just see what you get for a response but yeah our biggest concern is you can't get a fungicide and insecticide dry at least that i know of 
Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that, John. Good luck with your soybeans. This one for Tristan down in Nebraska, it looks like. He said, I've been told applying 1034-0 in furrow while planting soybeans will burn them and will hurt my stands. If this is true, what would you suggest? Would you substitute <laughs> in a fungicide or some plant health product? And what would you recommend on fertilizing the soybeans if we were going to do that with liquid? All right. First of all, the dose always makes the poison. So if you got down to a low enough dose then the 1034-0 wouldn't hurt. But how low is that dose? I don't know, a few ounces. <laughs> it's certainly not a gallon or two. So that would be a lot. It's, um, I, I guess we're just we're very concerned about damage to soybeans. They're so sensitive. If you think corn's bad, soybeans are 10 times worse in our opinion. Well, it's not even really our opinion. It's We've seen it. So we'll still maybe put a little bit, maybe a quart of micronutrients in furrow, but that's about all we do. And even that, it's risky, and we've been advised many times, hey, don't do that. <laughs> so anymore, um, we've been doing a little bit more, let's, let's say two by two. If you want to put fertilizer out there, do it two by two. If you want to do something in furrow, we're using biologicals in furrow. We've done inoculant in furrow. Uh, we, we've done beneficial bacteria, fungi, maybe some plant growth hormones, things like that. To your question about the fungicide, we just haven't had great response doing fungicide in furrow in soybeans. You can, I'm not saying it's going to be bad or anything, but we've seen more response when the soils are really cold in corn. Uh, so I, I, I would say this, if it's warm and it's soybeans, then I'm probably not going to spend the money on the fungicide. But again, you certainly can if you would like to. The last thing that I'll, I'll throw out there that we did this year for the first time, we put insecticide, we did capture LFR in furrow on, I think, all of our soybeans. We just figured, we got $15 soybeans. We're not taking any chances. We've had some bug problems before, and it's been kind of like, ah, whatever, it's no real big deal. But <laughs> this year, I just thought... Well, why, why risk it? Let, let's just go that direction. Some of these fields had been corn. They'd been reduced till. All our soybeans, I think all our soybeans this year are strip till. So in reduced till and strip till, no till situations, you're more likely to have bug problems than in conventional till where you've done a lot of tillage. So I just thought it doesn't cost much money. We don't have a lot of soybean acres this year. Why take the chance? Let's throw that in there. So you got several options. All right, get this from OT. Uh, in our greenhouse, we started 120 corn plants. They're already four inches tall. I'm just wondering when we plant them out in the field outside as things warm up, should we still put the base down at two inches to maybe two and a half inches? Absolutely. And the reason why is, well, and by base, I don't know what that means exactly, but let's put it this way. Where the seed was planted, we typically want that in the two to two and a half inch range if we can. Inch and a half is the absolute minimum. Part of the reason why is because the nodal roots actually start above where the seed is planted. They're going to start usually three quarters of an inch or more above where the seed's planted. So you want to make sure that you've put this plant in the ground little ways so the roots are all covered by soil. Not only does that mean you have better nutrient uptake and water uptake, but you have better stability for that plant. All right, thanks. And get this one in from Glenn. How are you guys coming on planting? I hear that conditions have gotten wet in your area. Yeah, I mean, it was cold. That's why a lot of people weren't planting, but cold soils do not bother me in the least. I don't care about that at all. 
we were past the first crop insurance date. The soil was actually fit, so we planted about 80% of our crop right here, but most other people in our area are probably only at 20 to 40% planted. And it's not real wet. We got some rain, but our area, we'd been bone dry. Look at the drought monitor map. We're probably still on there. Yeah, we're coming along pretty good, and we just need uh, some warm, sunny weather, which is coming next week. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.